This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. 
Hurry before they're all gone. All right, it's another episode of Film Study. This is the Know Your Foe episode of the week. Uh, as you're getting used to how we do things in uh, 2019, it's you'll get your defense episode, your offense episode, and then your Know Your Foe to get you ready for the weekend, and that's what this is. So we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals and look ahead to this Sunday's game. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm all good. All good down here. Uh you know, we've had a couple of days now without NFL football, so I'm anxious to get to the weekend again. How exciting is it after a win like that? I mean, I'm I'm happy to savor it. I could watch it another five times, that game, and probably will before Sunday. But it's also going to be fun to get on the field again and for a home game now after that win at Miami. Right. As fun as that game is, I'm hoping that's not the highlight of the year. So I'm, hope, <laughs> I'm hoping that we still have a great year up and coming. So, all right. So. Ken, you and I are not experts on the Arizona Cardinals, so we had to bring in a guest. We're bringing in uh, tonight former NFL tight end who's now doing a radio show out in Arizona, Ed Smith. Ed, how you doing? Doing great, Josh. Ken, uh, really appreciate you having me on. Well, we appreciate having you, Ed. And, uh, you know, we're going over your bio a little bit before the show, and you had a, a quite a wandering in pro sports to get there. It reminds me a little bit of Hayden Hurst. So tell us, kind of take us through your background here a little bit. Well, from 1987 to 1995, I actually played uh, nine years of minor league baseball. That's where I got my start right out of high school. Uh, right around 95, I was a little disenchanted with the game and decided to look into a different profession. Had no idea how it was going to turn out, but was fortunate and blessed enough to turn my uh, career toward football. And I got into the NFL via the World League of American Football in the spring of 96, when came back from there, uh, got into camp with the, uh, actually, believe it or not, got into camp with the St. Louis Rams that year, was the very last cut, was picked up by the Washington Redskins off waivers, spent the entire uh, year that season on the practice squad, and then uh, was able to go to Atlanta for two years, split a couple years between Detroit and Philadelphia, and then I'm one of those dudes that has a unique uh, distinction of being uh, in the XFL. 2001, I finished my career at Birmingham Thunderbolts. So as you ex expressed, uh, Ken, I have a very traveled history through sport. Uh, the all. That's just that is really an amazing thing. So nine years of minor league baseball. What position, Ed? I'm sorry, Ed. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. What position did you play in the minor leagues? Oh, I was a third baseman every day and uh, also played a little first on days when, you know, might have a lefty throwing. And then toward the end of my career, I started playing a little left and right field. So I hit all all four corners throughout my uh, – but I said every day I prided myself. I was a third baseman at one point early in my career. Uh, they always thought I was going to be too big. I was 6'4", 225, 230 pounds sometime. And they kept telling me one day I was going to be too big to man the corner over there. But I kept – Proving them wrong. Uh, one of my claim to fame was uh, in 91, or it was in 1990, I was actually on the team. Frank Thomas and I shared the infield. I was on uh, the third base side. He was on the first base side. I was actually there when he got called up uh, in September that year to go to the big leagues, and he never looked back. Very cool. Yeah, I remember that, too. He had a, he had a great 130, 140 at-bats as a rookie there, and, and he never did look back. 
No, not at all. All right. Now, Ken, you didn't yeah. give me the full story. Are you sure you don't want to derail this into an XFL conversation? No, it, does sound, it does sound kind of fun, doesn't it? <laughs> but, uh, all right, we'll do well, that another time. Let's focus on the Cardinals. Okay, no, no time in the Arena League. That's about the only league you didn't play in, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, wonderful. Let's so let's we'll move on a little bit here, and I'm sure we're going to draw on Ed's background a little bit because some of the things I want to hear about are some stories about what it's like to be on the end of the roster and have to fear the Turk on cutdown day. So you might, you might have always known kind of which side of the line you were going to end up on it, but maybe you could take us through that just for a minute or so. Can you say, can you ask that again, Ken? So, so the question is, you know, you're, you're certainly a guy who, who was on the end of the roster and maybe you're two years yeah. in Atlanta. It looks like you were fairly safe and maybe a, maybe a special teams contributor from what I can tell here. Yes. And, and, but in, but in other, other years at Washington and St. Louis or whatnot, you were fearing the Turk on cutdown day. Oh, absolutely. And I knew, you know, it was just, I, I, it was a wonder that I'd even gotten to that point. Obviously, after nine years of professional baseball, now all of a sudden I'm fighting for jobs and competing uh, in the NFL. And, you know, it was, I tell you, there were a couple of sleepless nights toward the end of camps. There were a couple of times when I was either the very last guy to get cut or I was the last guy to make the roster. So I, you know, and I experienced it all. You know, there were those days when we knew the, the hits were coming and you were almost, you know, you were a little scared to go to uh, the facility that day or walk in <laughs> and, you know, because you never, you know, you saw it all the time. There were guys, they walk in, ask you for your playbook, and that was it. The interesting part for me was the few times that I faced the gavel, I was always assured, you know, hey, we're letting you go, but we want to bring you back for the practice squad. Or, hey, we just got a couple things, you know, we have to take care of and then we're going to bring you back in. So, it, you know, it was an attestment, I guess, to the fact that I showed that I could play the game even after being away from it that long. But like you said, Ken, it was like there was some sleepless nights. And, you know, I was asked to bring my playbook a couple of times. And that, that, that hurts your feelings, man. I, I bet. I bet. But it's, it's good to hear those stories. And we, we, we loved it. When you have an ex-player on the show or a player that's currently playing, we like to ask as much in, inside football as we can. So we'll do a little bit of that as we go through and scout out this game in advance. I guess the first thing we really need to talk about more than anything else is the development of Kyler Murray. He's definitely the story of the Arizona Cardinals this year. And, uh, you know, the Ravens are just coming from Miami where Josh Rosen got a really tough introduction to the to the Ravens for wasn't very many plays. What about five plays in that uh, in that uh, end of the third and beginning of the fourth quarter? But he managed to throw an interception and take a big hit. Also, Uh, Rosen's. Time in St. Louis, very brief. It looks like it'll be brief in Miami as well. Kyler Murray replacing him this year. And next year, he may well be replaced by Tua. Yeah, I, you know, and here's the thing. I think uh, Rosen got a real bum deal out here, Ken. I mean, obviously, he drafted in the first round. Uh, he you know, takes over an organization that was rebuilding, obviously, through first-year head coach. They were all in it together. But they really let him down last year in terms of, they had no offensive line in front of them. The offensive scheme itself was about as bad as you can get. He was under fire from start all the way to the finish. But at the end of it, everybody wanted to point the finger at him like he did such a horrible job. Well, in reality, your head coach got fired. You went out and, you, you know, it was that bad that you went and drafted another quarterback. He wasn't the, problem. He wasn't the biggest problem here. And then, like you said, it's, it's, it's rough that he's going to Miami and basically he's going to be in the same position because – Miami's not going to be any good this year, and they're going to be right back in the same boat and, you know, looking to draft Tua or somebody else. And it's just, you know, this is very unique. I've never seen this happen to a quarterback in back-to-back years. So 
like I said, he got a really raw deal out here. I hope he, and the thing is, I've met him a couple of times. I was actually at a charity uh, softball event, Larry Fitzgerald softball event last year. And this was after he got released uh, or, you know, he went to Miami and the fans were very receptive of him. So, Ed, one of the really exciting things is the development, obviously, of Kyler Murray. Uh, and I, I don't want to, you know, direct this in a way, but, uh, you know, he's, had a great game, great comeback against the Lions. What what kind of clicked to start working in that third quarter? Well, I think more than anything, Ken, it wasn't necessarily like the, a change in their plan of attack. I think it was the fact that they were behind. Obviously, hadn't done much through the first three three quarters plus of the game, and the urgency kind of picked up. And I think very in the offense picked the pace and the tempo up. And one, it probably took Detroit off. Uh, you know, by a little bit of surprise, but also it looked like Detroit was doing their best to give this game back. You know, they didn't do anything offensively uh, second half of the game, and, you know, the defense looked like they were gassed by the end of it, and part of that is probably conditioning with lack of work in the uh, preseason. But more than anything, like I said, Kyler, he, he threw the ball 54 times, completed 29 passes for 308 yards throughout. I think more than anything, it was that up-tempo, uh, he still he still looked poised out there. He was hitting receivers toward the end. Um, so I don't necessarily think anything clicked. I just think picking up the pace and, and uh, moving the ball uh, was something they had to do, and they pulled it off and made it almost pulled off the miracle victory there at the end. Yeah, it was a, it was quite a ball game in terms of getting that game tied. I mean, Arizona had a terrible record all time when trailing by that much, right? Wasn't it two and a couple hundred or so? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a, a great comeback in his uh, first NFL game. I, I, you know, I look at that and I see him coming to Baltimore, and I would try and be, con- I would be concerned that that kind of an up-tempo scheme could cost the Ravens, who are a very rotational team, particularly at well, at both at at one inside linebacker spot at the weak side spot, all along the defensive line, which is most teams in the NFL now and very much so at outside linebacker as well, that they, they really rotate players in, uh, you know, frequently uh, along that. So it helps when they can slow the other team down, keep them to drives of, of five or six plays, not that any defense doesn't do better in that situation. But, you know, Murray, if he's able to run for some first downs, could, could do the same thing for the Ravens defense in terms of getting them gassed. Yeah, I absolutely see that. And one of the things I'm sure they're in the meeting rooms this week talking about containing Kyler Murray, meaning, you know, keep him within that pocket, um, but also have your lane discipline up the middle. Because one thing I've noticed, and maybe part of his, you know, being of small stature, he's tended to be, he's really always obviously very quick and elusive, but he's been hard to find back there, I think, by some of the defensive uh, uh, attackers. You know, he's been able to scoot out of there and uh, find those seams. So, you know, he'll put a lot of pressure, obviously, all through the year on anybody defensively. The one thing I'm really encouraged in watching him so far as well is he's not intentionally just, like, hitting that eject button and getting out of the pocket as fast as possible looking to run down the field. When he's been scrambling, he's been staying behind the line of scrimmage, head up trying to find receivers. So that might be something uh, that plays a factor this game if the uh, Ravens get too aggressive in coming up field or chasing him out to the sidelines, and he's still, you know, extending plays and finding receivers up the field. I said that could be a, a great advantage for the Cardinals. Okay, well, the Ravens have occasionally in the past played with a spy. I remember a game against the Seahawks a couple of years ago where they really tried that uh, against Wilson. 
this is a game that kind of screams out for it. If you want to keep Kyler and Murray in the pocket and kind of force him to beat you by the passing game, that's kind of what the Dolphins did. Not directly with a spy, but with a limited pass rush and dropping more to coverage. And they basically said early in that game uh, on Sunday, you're going to have to beat us with your arm. And then, of course, that's exactly what he did. Uh, in, yeah. in the case of Murray, I'm, I'm wondering if, if that might be the Ravens' initial strategy as well, that they'll try and force him to, to throw the ball from a fairly well-contained, not all the pass rushers green-lit pocket where they have very controlled rush lanes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a matchup of, I guess, uh, strengths and weaknesses. The one thing about the Cardinals that I've seen so far is they've been more successful outside of the pocket, meaning rolling Kyler out one side or the other. Um, obviously, the Ravens are going to want to try to keep him in the middle of the field because of his lack of height and his stature. I've already seen a few balls batted down, and that's going to be a problem if they don't create lanes for him. So I'm pretty sure – they're in those meeting rooms. They're going to try to keep him as, as much inside the hatches as possible. And then on the other side, like I said, the Cardinals are going to try to get him out, stretch him out, and if he can take advantage of some of those those gaps that are created, he'll take off. And one thing he's been good about so far, too, is when he does scramble, he gets down. He's not out there looking to take a whole lot of big hits. So he's been very good at you know realizing, hey, it's time to get down and live to fight another play. Um, and, you know, thus far, actually, he's extended some drives by picking up first downs. It'll be interesting, like you said, if they put a spy on him, if they can keep up with him, because this dude is really quick, Ken. Yeah, it's shocking to me that even in that overtime game where they had 80-plus snaps, he only ran the ball three times for 13 in the entire game. So might have yeah, had a I loss think that, or two. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think, that, I think that was partly by design, too. I think he really wants to – you know, be in the pocket. I mean, it's dangerous out there in the middle of that field. And it looked like a couple of times he actually, instead of taking off, he was hanging back, you know. And one thing that he did that I think was smart as well, when it was time to get rid of the ball, he wasn't only one time did he try to force one in, and that turned out to be his only interception of the game. But for the most part, he, he, he holds it, holds it, and then when it's time to get rid of it, he has no problem tossing it, you know, into the third row or, you know, or, or off to the side, you know, so – you know, it, whether if a game plan is to incorporate more runs, you know, I guess maybe depending on the opponent or if he's making more of a conscious effort to stay in the pocket. Well, I guess we'll see that because obviously we didn't see a whole lot of variations of anything through the preseason and we just got our first real look at what the Cardinals might uh, bring for us each week. All right. Well, the guy who stands out in the box score, moving on to some of the other skill position players, is David Johnson, of course, who so much of that Cardinals offense runs through, both as a receiver and a runner. Tell me a little bit about what you saw in the first game, but I'm just going to preface this by saying I noticed he played all but, I looks like he played all but 12 snaps in the whole game, which is an unbelievable workload for a running back. Yeah, you know, David Johnson, he's coming off two really disappointing years, one of them by injury, 2017, and last year with that offense and the offensive line, they struggled, he struggled uh, to find his way and find his rhythm all through the year. Thus far this year, uh, in game one, he looked like he was, he showed flashes of 2016. You know, I saw him running with a little more uh, authority. He, you know, hit some holes, he uh, picked up some yardage, um, and then the other factor, the biggest impact I think he might have is actually going to be in the passing game. The one thing that 
uh, that I'm not really a big fan of is this pistol formation with no lead blocker. He's going to have to do a lot of things on his own uh, back there in the backfield because he's got nobody guiding him through any of these holes. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of read option. I'm not a big fan of it. And I don't necessarily think it suits his style of running. But on the flip side, if they throw the ball as much as I think they do or will with him coming out of the backfield, he's going to have, I think, even a larger role in catching the ball and, and out in space than he will carrying it up the middle or, you know, even out to the sides. Okay, so do the Cardinals run most of their running plays from 11 personnel, try to force the nickel on the opposing team, force them to be light, and then do what they can with one tight end? Yeah, that's exactly what they do. And the rumor was coming into the season, Ken, that they were going to be more, you know, 12 personnel with double tights, maybe using Mm -hmm. some guys, to, you know, the tight ends in the backfield. But so far we haven't seen much of that. And the other thing we haven't seen a lot of is Kyler under center. That's, you know, that might prove to be a, 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 when you got one running back back there in the pistol, you know, all these wide receivers out there, obviously you're forcing the defense to go into their nickel and dime packages. But you're also, like I said, when they when they get people in the box, you're not going to be able to to run the ball effectively, and you know at least consistently, in my opinion. So it will be it'll be interesting to see uh, what packages they bring out. And like I said, it's in the NFL, it's a game to game adjustment. You know, you look at your po- opponent, see how you might attack them. So you know, last week it was more of the four wide, three wide, uh, with the eleven personnel. Maybe this week they load it up to bring the tight ends back into the game and try a little power football. I will, it's all to be seen, I guess, as we move into the season. It might be a week-to-week uh, assessment. Do they have the blocking tight ends to support more more power football, or a fullback for that matter? They're very light in those areas. Um, they have uh, Clay, I think, brought, they brought him over from Buffalo. Uh, Clay is not what you call what I would call a bruising uh, you know, blocking tight end, and you know the others on the roster. They're they're not. They're I wouldn't necessarily call them great blockers. So this might be an attack where they literally try to use that the, the more of the zone read than you know lead blockers. It looks like that's going to be the case. Uh, at least the start of the season here, we could see it change possibly, but um, it's all a mystery at this point, especially because we didn't see a lot through the preseason. Okay, one thing I meant to do and I didn't have a chance to before the show was check just how many wide receivers that Arizona averaged per snap. So take their total wide receiver snap counts, divide that by the total number of snaps in the game to try and figure out how many it was. Did they have a fair number of four receiver sets or was it usually a tight end split when they were had four wide or five wide? I think it was a majority. I, I looked at some of the numbers myself. I didn't see um... – the, the exact number of formations, I think, you know, in reviewing the tape, it looked like it was mostly three wide with a tight end, maybe on the inside in a slot position. Uh, I did see some four wide with with David Johnson in the back. That was that seemed like it might have been the majority of the snaps there, though. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm just looking at it right now. They had only 36 total tight end snaps in the game in an 89-snap yeah. game. Okay, so that that does speak to a lot of four wide. Okay, we'll we'll, uh, we'll watch that closely. One of the things that the Ravens have is with their weakness at cornerback, that will maybe a challenge for them uh, in terms of finding enough healthy cornerbacks to really cover a four wide. Or maybe they they use big nickel a lot with a you know a third safety coming in at, in the nickel uh, to cover the slot receiver last week. 
but it may be a case where they want to get an extra corner on the field or get a faster safety like Deshaun Elliott, who hasn't got much playing time in his second year so far, uh, on the field to, to cover one of those receivers. Yeah, I mean, it, it could. I, I think the, the biggest thing for the Ravens is after what they saw last week, um, you know, obviously the Cardinals held everything close to their vest, and the biggest mystery of all of football was, what is this air raid going to look like? They got a quick peek at it, but quite honestly, they still probably don't have an idea of what they're going to see from Kingsbury because it could either get very exotic, like you said, with the four. And the other thing is we talk about the personnel, it's the four Masons. Who are they throwing out there? And, you know, I think they had one funky one where they had three guys over to the left and they even took some motion out there during the game. So you're not just the personnel, but it's going to be some of these crazy formations they might come out with. And that'll all, like I said, on the other side, we could have seen the, the, the best of it this past week, which I don't think, because with all the hype that's been around this air raid offense, I dare say that that was the best of it that we're going to see. So in those Ravens um, rooms right now, defensive rooms, they're probably still bracing for everything. The biggest challenge for them will be the in-game adjustments. You know, you can go in with a plan, but everything goes out the window as soon as you see what is actually there in front of you. So, you know, and I know Harbaugh, I actually played under uh, Harbaugh in uh, Philly when I was, uh, he was a uh, special teams coach at the time. So he's a, he's a great mind, and I know they'll be over there making the adjustments as the game is going on, and that's going to be a true test for him this week. All right. Well, let's, if we can, can we take us through the offensive linemen that are out there for the Cardinals right now. The one name that Ravens fans kind of know is A.Q. Shipley, who was with the Ravens in 2013. Didn't have a particularly good year that year at left guard. And frankly, I'm amazed he's still in the league six years later. <laughs> you know, again, I got to be honest with you, I have not studied that offensive line to a degree. And part of it, part, they're still... And what's crazy is we're right into the beginning of the season. They're still talking about making adjustments, moving guys around. I think they just brought someone in last week, and they're you know they're talking about swapping some positions and having guys try this. You know, we all know the offensive line for me is probably second most important, I guess, piece to any offense. I mean, they've got to protect the quarterback. And they also have to communicate. And I feel sorry for some of these guys coming in, just meeting guys, just working with guys, because, it, you know, it look, makes them look bad when, you know, obviously it sometimes looks like a, a fire drill out there. But the, in all reality, they haven't worked with each other long enough. They haven't, you know, they don't know each other. They, they still have a lot to figure out. And it's going to look uglier before it gets any better, if you ask me. And this might be one of those weeks where, because of the non-continuity, the, the, the Ravens might have a field day picking that offensive line apart. Well, they did have a they did have a field day with two pretty bad tackles last week in Miami. But Justin Murray is at right tackle, and I don't know anything about him. Uh, it looks like he had kind of a tough week the first week, from what I'm looking at online. DJ Humphreys at left tackle. Uh, don't know anything about him in terms of of his past play, whether he was. Uh, uh, you know, where he was in the league. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's now 26. So he's been with Arizona. This is his fourth year. So it looks like he was a pretty good player a couple of years ago and maybe not so great in 2018. But uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll be interested to see how that develops. And, and, you know, I wish we had a little bit more to go on there, but we got what we got. And uh, let's keep moving on and maybe talk about some defense here. 
can you tell me a little bit about in terms of defensive scheme, what are the Cardinals like to line up in? And I remember the Cardinals were very much a dime team a few years back. In fact, they used to have in the game books, uh, Deontay Buchanan, I believe it was, was listed as the dollar sign LB. <laughs> uh, it was yeah. a funny thing. So they name their own positions when they when they when they start them. But uh, but to the Dolphins, you know, obviously the Honey Badger is gone now, and the Ravens, you know, really made a play for him uh, when he left. But do they have an, Who do they have now in terms of safeties that they like to keep on the field? Well, the the, the best thing the Cardinals did, uh, they went back to the three four from that experiment with the four three last year under. Wilkes, you know, I think guys are probably going to feel a little more comfortable. Their uh, personnel fits that more than it does the, um, you know, the other scheme they were running. Um, as far as, you know, the secondary, you've got Buda Baker back there, Byron Murphy, who's a young rookie, trying to find his way, DJ Swearinger, Swearinger and uh, Tremaine Brock, I think it was. So these guys mm-hmm. played, you know, 88, 72 snaps, you know, 88, 88. So these, that's your main focus back there, and I think – they brought uh, Chris Jones in for another 59 snaps in the nickel. One of the interesting things for me is it were two different things. One, we scouted the game last week for the Lions, and their whole thing was, hey, we got this new attack. It's going to be run-based, and you know, we're not going to rely on Stafford slinging around as much. So you know, we were kind of bracing for that ground attack coming in here. But my, my secondary thought, thought you know, well, they're going to be coming here looking at a secondary that doesn't include Patrick Peterson. How tempting is it going to be to abandon that and get out there and start throwing the ball around? Apparently it was very tempting. You know, it was a moderately run game, but, you know, they, they did pass the ball a lot. And Cardinals forced the Cardinals into – they played – in the 88 snaps, they played 43 of those snaps in the nickel package. And one of the other interesting things, um, they actually had a few snaps where they only had a couple defensive linemen on the field because – you know, uh, Detroit was loading them up with um, with the uh, receiver, their receiver packages. So, you know, it was a it was an interesting game. I don't think it, this past week's game was going to look anything like the one we have coming up here, just because of what we saw from Baltimore this past week. They basically opened a can up on uh, Miami and gave you so much to defend. And I'll be interested from your side whether they come out with the same attack or is this the week that instead of Lamar throwing it like he did, maybe he runs the ball 20 times. So they're going to, just as the Ravens are in the room trying to figure out what the Cardinals are going to be doing, I'm sure it's going to be vice versa too. They're going to be trying to figure out how do we stop Lamar, uh, what's the attack going to look like this week, and you know, hopefully that secondary can hold up. I think the, one of the biggest things is the defensive line has to put some pressure on Lamar Jackson, keep him in the pocket, but put some pressure on him so he does not have the time that it looked like he had this past week against Miami because he was just picking him apart. And then we had some receivers you know, just running wide open down the field. So if that is the case, it could be a very long weekend for all Cardinals uh, involved. Yeah, it was it was definitely when he had time early in that game, he he ended the game very quickly with a with a five play sequence. I. I Chart something called ample time and space, Ed, but he had five straight passes, the third through seventh passes of the game. Each of those times he was afforded a three-second pocket where he could step into the throw, and the play results were 47 for a touchdown, 83 for a touchdown, nine-yard completion, 14-yard completion, and 33 for a touchdown. So at that that exact point, (laughs) there was a change in game philosophy, and then he only had three or (laughs) four the rest of the way. (laughs) 
I do think I do think they'll try and 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 pressure Jackson in this game. I think they really have to try and find a way to scheme it up. You know, looking at this, and and, and I'm just going by the snap counts here, but there's only five defensive backs even listed with snaps for the Cardinals in this game. So it does not look like they really go to the dime defense, which ought to be a an interesting thing to see if the Ravens can exploit a linebacker because they've got good matchups with their tight ends, uh, probably for those. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. You know, I was really surprised, too, because, like I said, they didn't go with a lot of dime. Um, I was surprised to see how much nickel they did use, though. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. That's for sure, Ken. All right. All right. Um, let's see. What else would we like to talk about? Um, let's, let's. How about you pick one player that you think really matches up well against the Ravens? Uh, maybe I'll pick one Raven I also think matches up fairly well against the Cardinals. We can talk about that for a moment. What, you can pick one on well, yeah. offense and defense if you like. Well, I'm gonna go. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit, man, because honestly, I, my my pick is Terrell Suggs. I mean, his familiarity with the Ravens. You know, he was there for you know last year when Lamar took the reins of the um, you know the, the starting quarterback position. So he had a lot of time to practice against it and see it. And hopefully, you know, he's relaying some of the things he saw last year uh, to his teammates to get him ready for this game. Uh, I know it's I know that's taking the easy way out, but I definitely see Suggs. And then that's the fact you have to throw in there. This is going to be a little bit of a you know I know he, I, I'm I'm assuming he left on good terms back. There's no hard feelings when he left, but you know he's going to want to come back there and ball out just to, to, to you know to try to stick it to the Ravens in, in any way he can. So on the other side of the ball, I think it is uh, you know Kyler Murray. Everything revolves around him as far as the offense. I don't think you know if I had to honestly if I had to pick. If you gave me non-player, I'd say it's going to be Kingsbury. He's the one that's going to, for me, it has to be the the biggest factor in this, I guess, second game. You know, he's got to call a better game than he did in the first half last week. And he's also going to, like I said, if he's going to pick the pace up, you know, keep it going and keep uh, the Ravens off their toes. But, you know, Kyler Murray, like I said, everything revolves around him in terms of uh, this game plan on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, that was an excellent, excellent play. So let's talk about each of them for just a second here. So with, with Terrell Suggs, first of all, I, I, I there was an in, uh, inference, uh, that's not implication, that there might have been a little saltiness with him leaving in saying that if Ozzie had still been the GM, he thought they could have worked something out. So he'd been okay. obviously through contract negotiations in the past with Ozzie. Baltimore loves Terrell Suggs just to an unbelievable degree. I can just, you know, tell you my own experiences from camp is the Ravens have three fields together for practice. You always knew where Terrell Suggs was because you could hear him from anywhere. He, he just he's, yeah. he's the loudest man in the general facility. And he, the stuff he says is just solid gold. I don't know how much time he spends writing it at night or if it's all natural, but the guy is just such a natural comic. And occasionally he'd do something to integrate that with football that was just astounding. And one of them I remember specifically was him having a peekaboo interception. They twice did that to Roethlisberger in real games. But he, he just had figured out that the offense was going to run some particular swing pass to the left side, ducked down behind the tackle, showed, I, I don't know if it's Flacco or the backup quarterback that, at that time, uh, you know, a, a an area to throw and then jumped up and intercepted the ball as if he knew exactly when it was coming runs into the end zone <laughs> spikes it comically for six he's just he's he's a unbelievable football player and he just has that additional element that 
I didn't it wasn't obvious to me that he'd become a leader after Ray left. But he's the most obvious leader. He's just a different kind of leader that uh, that that, uh, you know, you could ever have. He really enjoyed driving the cart. He would always steal Steve Bishotti's cart and and uh, <laughs> drive that to practice. And then it, it became the big thing was who would get to ride in the passenger seat of the cart with Terrell Suggs. And Brandon Williams was the last guy to enjoy that honor. Anyway, I, 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 there's not been a player in Baltimore that I've enjoyed playing any more than Terrell Suggs in his time here. Every team needs a Terrell Suggs. That dude is not just not just a leader, but he – you know, you 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 want to follow him. You know, you want to. He he keeps the the clubhouse light. Um, you know, when it's time for business, it's time for business. I played on some great teams. I played on some teams that were uh, bad. And the bad teams was it was always minus that dude. So I can understand how valuable he is. And that was one of the things we talked about early out here when they made the acquisition. If nothing else, I wasn't sure what his snap count was going to be. Uh, you know, obviously he might have lost a little bit. Uh, doesn't have as much left in the tank. But I knew his motor and his leadership were going to be very valuable for some of these younger players and even to inspire some of the older dudes. So, you know, I'm looking forward to him. You know, we'll see uh, this week how motivated he is. You know, and I'm glad you pointed out the fact he might have, it might have been a little salty on his uh, departure. So that, like I said, that elevates this, this matchup even more from that side of the ball. All right. Don't tell him I said that. We don't want to make him angry or anything. He, he, he would <laughs> – you would not have lined up often against Terrell Suggs as a player. And I don't mean because Suggs has been in the league for a long time. I mean because he normally takes the uncovered side, the uncovered tackle. So because the yeah. Ravens are primarily a right-handed team, you'll see that he'll be lined up directly against Ronnie Stanley, which is a great matchup. Stanley's an excellent young left tackle, got great feet. And Suggs is probably going to have to rely on that bull rush to try and get home rather than that other – You know, he's got a closet full of moves, but that bull rush is still – uh, very solid. Yeah, no, I, I love watching him play. Like I said, nothing else like I said, for that, that motor of his. And then you always got to watch. He loves to talk. And I used to, you know, when you're on the, the good side of that, it's fun. You know, when you're, on, when you're on the bad side, when he's talking at you, it can't be as, uh, can't be, it's not as much uh, enjoyment on that. But I, I just love his, his spirit and his, his, his uh, passion for the game. Like I said, he elevates dudes that are around him. So it'll be an interesting matchup, especially, like I said, him going home. And, and I hope he uh, I hope he lights it up a little bit. Yeah. All righty. Well, you know, I think I think that, that Ravens fans, there's some part of them would like to say, if you guarantee a Ravens win, we'd love to see him get a sack. But uh, but anyway, we're, we're, we're certainly ridden him for a pile up a bunch of sacks for Arizona this year. Uh, make sure that he solidifies any first ballot Hall of Fame I can't imagine that there's any question of him being a first ballot Hall of Famer, honestly. He's been the best run defender of his generation at the position. Yeah. In addition to being a great pass rusher, I, it'd be hard for me to believe he would not make it. But anyway, uh, I, I think that I, he's probably not going to get a statue in Baltimore, but he's pretty damn close in terms of uh, yeah. what might be done. Yeah. yeah, no, they should remember him fondly, and I'm pretty sure when the dust settles and he has a, t- a little time to uh, – you know, reflect. Uh, he'll find he'll refine that love for Baltimore. I know he obviously loves the fans, but obviously for the organization, sometimes when you step away, it's a little rough. But they'll get over that. Who was who was your Terrell Suggs on those on the Good Falcons team of 1998, which went to the Super Bowl? Who was who was your Terrell Suggs? We had you know we had Jesse Tuggle, who was I mean Jesse is a pure hidden machine. We also you know we ran a four three. 
Uh, Chuck Smith on the defensive line was kind of our, you know, I guess our specialist. But yeah, we were all we were led by Jesse Tuggle. He was uh, an amazing, you know, he was a uh, prototype, uh, a smaller version of Ray Lewis right there in the middle, where you could depend on him uh, to to plug holes, uh, you know, defend some passes, and uh, be basically be the leader. Uh, of that group, like I said, he he was he was something else. It was great to play with him. I bumped heads with him a few times, a few more than I wanted to. But uh, like I said, and then like I said, on the other side, you on the interior, we had uh, Chuck Smith, who I think uh, he had a great season that uh, Super Bowl run the uh, season we had. All right, all right, and, and uh, Tuggle was a guy as a leader in the clubhouse had that same kind of role as well. That's really what I meant in terms of who was your Terrell Suggs. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, yeah. oh goodness, we Jesse was more of a quiet guy. Let me think. Oh my goodness, who was our Jesse Tubble that year? Uh, well, can <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna scratch your head when I tell you this, but because of what happened uh, at the Super Bowl, but Eugene Robinson was our our glue guy. Believe it or not, he wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily the uh, you know he wasn't as uh, joyful and playful as Suggs, but he was that dude who kind of guided us and and uh, led us, you know. But just, unfortunately, actually had a little faux pas there down at the Super Bowl that year uh, that kind of cost him a little bit of his legacy. But he was that dude that used to, you know, he he helped that defensive bond uh, throughout that whole season. Jesse was the the, the brute, and uh, uh, he was the kind of like I said, the the spiritual slash uh, glue guy. All right. All right, it's great. I love the inside football stuff you're talking about. One more thing I really wanted to ask you about was you, you had obviously been on the side of the Sam linebacker a fair amount. Did you line up in line when you played on offense more more often than not? I was actually I was kind of the move guy. I, you know, I, I played a lot on the ball, but I also did a lot of movement. Uh, you know, when we went up to play in the NFC Championship game in '98, I was primarily off the ball. Uh, I did catch one pass in that game. I was on the ball at that time kind of a bootleg to the right. So, you know, I, I floated back and forth. I did a little – we lost our running back that – like uh, Bobby Christensen, I think his name was. We lost him a few weeks prior, so we had to convert some of us tight ends to lead blockers. So we were all responsible for a whole bunch of different things. That Toward the end of the year, like I said, I was kind of on and off the ball throughout the uh, rest of the season. Okay, very good. And, and just to tell you, in, in Philly, I was actually the – I was the heavy lift and block guy. I was that dude that we had uh, Luther Broughton, who was our uh, catching wide receiver, and then we had a long, young rookie, Judd, Jed Weaver, and he was kind of green. So, you know, they actually had, uh, Philly had me doing all the heavy lifting. I was a dude that always went to the side of attack, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I earned, my, earned my, my paper that year for sure. Very good. All right. All right. Outstanding. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe you want to talk a little bit about what you've been doing since football here. I think we're we're pretty much at the end of what the what the Cardinals will be. We don't really ask for for score predictions. I don't put a lot of value in that. But tell me a little bit about yeah. your life since football and what you've been doing. Well, you know, I, I was officially done with sports in 2001. After that, you know, like a lot of athletes, tried to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I, I dibbled in some sales and things like that. I was a financial planner for a couple of years. 2005, I actually had my autobiography uh, published and released. Uh, so it's, it's called Easy Does It, The Journey of a Lifetime. It kind of chronicles my life and my journey all the way from upbringing into my baseball career and then in the, the transition to football. So I'm very proud of that. 
Uh, currently, I travel and I speak. I'm a motivational speaker. Uh, you know, get out and speak to executive groups, uh, leadership, team building. Um, I love to work with kids as well. And then I have a radio show on NBC Sports Radio, 1060 AM out here in Phoenix. It's called the Easy, Talk, Easy Sports Talk Show. Uh, my partner, Javon Adams, he's actually also my partner on the Believe in the Arizona Cardinals podcast that we do every week out here right now. As a matter of fact, as soon as we hang up, Ken, I'm going to be getting our next Believe in the Arizona Cardinals podcast in. And then, like I said, you know, I, I try to uh, make sure that I'm involved in a lot of charitable organizations and, um, you know, a foundation. So we always try to support those type of things. And, and uh, it's been, you know, a great, great run for me. I'm uh, blessed to, to, to have the experiences I did on both baseball and football field and now live in that second chapter of life. All right. That's outstanding. Sounds like you made very good use of the time so far. Still only 50, a young man in my book and uh, yeah. <laughs> doing very well. All right. So, uh, Josh, do we have anything in the mailbag? So the film study mailbag is the chance for the listener to steer the show. You can get in your questions on Twitter using the hashtag film study mailbag, or you can make a comment over at filmstudyravens.com. And uh, just a couple to go over. First off is uh, Larry Fitzgerald. He's obviously been the face of the Cardinals and on the Cardinals forever. Uh, what does a veteran like that, how does that help a young rookie like Kyler Murray? I mean, you, you saw what happened at the end of that game last week. You know, Larry, a lot of people have written him off because he's lost a step. He's moved from the outer edges into that slot role. So he's, you know, not necessarily exploding up the field anymore. He's making, you know, his, his, he's doing all his work in the middle of that field. And it shows the true consummate professional he is. You don't hear anything, no griping from him or anything like that. He is the ultimate security blanket for a young receiver like uh, Kyler Murphy. And you saw a couple times, you know, he just – and not necessarily uh, Kyler just threw it up, but he knew if I just get him in the air and it's somewhere near Larry, he's going to come down with it. And that's the reason why they ended up tying that game last week because of the performance by Larry Fitzgerald, which I, you know, me, I never, ever saw that coming. Eight catches, 113 yards, you know, and hopefully that's a, the sign of a, a lot to come from Larry this year. Uh, and, as, you know, as far as the other receivers, they're learning from a living legend right now. These you know, young receivers, Keyshawn Johnson, Christian Kirk, they're all going to be so much better just from being around Larry uh, in the film study room, on the field watching him do his thing, you know, getting his, um, you know, how he prepares for some, for a game every week. So he's invaluable, and uh, he's a – you mentioned Suggs earlier. Larry's a first ballot, uh, should be unanimous, Hall of Fame uh, wide receiver. All right, that's cool. And then on a much uh, lighter note, what's team morale like and all after they after you uh, end the game in a tie and and all that? Is, is that back. something where they come out frustrated? Is it something where they feel like they put it all out in order to get the tie that they're okay with it? How do how do you how does a team turn out of a tie? You know, it's funny because you know you look at the comeback as what there, there's two different realities. There's the reality of the Cardinals, who they should be they'll be less disappointed because they were so far behind. They put up this great fight. They got back to where they tied the game and actually should have won it in overtime. And then you have the Detroit Lions who are sitting there thinking, how the heck did we just – or how did we do that? We actually – they threw that game away in so many different ways. And you look at one or two different plays, and they could have walked out there with a victory, and it would have still been one of those cultural victories, meaning, hey, we can – Got a lot to learn from this. We walked away with the victory, but, man, we, we almost threw that one away. Instead, they really did throw it away. It was, you know, ridiculous. So I think more 
optimistic from the side of the Cardinals because out here, they, all they've talked about is, wow, look at that fourth quarter comeback. And, you know, we'll see if that was smoke and mirrors because, you know, for the first three-plus quarters, they did not look good at all. So we'll see how they use that momentum from the finish of that game to propel themselves into this Baltimore matchup. All right, that's interesting and uh, good to know. All right, Ed, your website is edsmithspeaks.com where people can go and find out about your speaking engagements and your book and everything else you're up to. Is there any other plugs you want to get in? Um, you know, if you go to Facebook, it's at the Easy Sports Talk. On Instagram, you can go to the Easy Sports Talk show and, you know, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ed Smith Speaks. So those are all the ways. And then, obviously, we have the Twitter page for the show as well, the Easy Sports Talk. So anything Easy Sports Talk, come and get us. All right, so Easy Sports, you're, you're controlling that name, running it over everything. I'm, I'm trying to brand it, man. <laughs> That's good. Good to do. Uh, Ken, what's up on FilmStudyRavens.com? Busy week on Film Study Ravens. So we had some uh, uh, two podcasts, the offense and the defense. The, the offense one in particular, we talked a lot about Lamar Jackson's historic game, obviously, and just about how great his game was relative to expectation. Uh, so there's, there's some interesting stuff out there if you're interested in some good nerd football. But he uh, he basically exceeded his yards per pass uh, expectation by approximately 10 yards per throw in that game, which is mind-bogglingly high. Uh, so we've got that. We've got the, the, the one on the defensive course, the Know Your Foe episode. We've got the articles that go into more depth on the defense. Uh, we've got some pass rush information I want to get up by the end of the week, Josh. And, uh, you know, life is good. We should, people should be checking back there, I hope, every day to, to see what's up and what's new. All right, and just a couple more days until we get to do this all again. So, all right, guys, enjoy your evening and the rest of your week. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.